Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. I'm your co-host, Ralph Velasco, and I'm coming to you from Chicago, where I'm currently in between trips. Unfortunately, Ugo won't be able to join us today. So let's get right into it, and let me give you some background about our next guest. Uh, Dancho Ristov is the landscape and wildlife photographer from Bulgaria that we'll be speaking to today. He first dabbled with photography at the age of 13 with an old Zenit film camera, which I'm not familiar with. A few years later, his uh, interest in wildlife and birds in particular led him to his first digital camera, and that's when the adventure began in earnest. For the past 10 years, Dancho has been traveling extensively, mainly throughout Europe, guiding photographers, participating in bird surveys, and generally just exploring nature. Dancho is the author of the Snap Guide to Photographing Bulgaria and has received several awards from regional landscape and wildlife photography contests. A significant part of his time is dedicated to planning trips and guiding groups. Speaking of Snap Guides, I met Dancho through our good friend Luca Asenko, who is co-founder of Snap Guides and a previous guest on the podcast back in episode 107. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, too. Welcome to the show, Doncho. How are you, and where are you these days? Hello. Welcome. Uh, very nice to be your guest. Thank you very much for this uh, invitation and for the opportunity to promote Bulgaria as uh, one of the um, wonderful destinations in, the in, in Europe. I'm now based in Sofia, uh, in between some trips. So having a little bit of a break, but at the same time, planning more that's going to come later on. Sure. Planning for the future, always. Yes. Great. Well, uh, why don't you fill in some blanks for us, Doncho? I gave a very brief uh, overview of your background. Tell us more about your background and how and when did you become a full-time photographer and guide? Yes, um, I did my bachelor degree in uh, transport engineering from the local Sofia Technical University, which may uh, sound a bit strange, but that was my interest at the time. Uh, then it uh, moved slightly and uh, I moved into environmental sciences and policy. So I did my master of science degree from the Central European University in Budapest. And my interest in wildlife was um, triggered when I was 13. That was um, about 25 years ago. This was when my father and I were trekking in the mountains in the southwestern part of the country. And uh, during a very long trek, we had a very close encounter with a Balkan Shamoa, that's a wild goat, with, uh, with uh, her cup. And it was a very powerful moment when the, the animals were on the very edge of a steep ridge. So it triggered a unique, very key moment in my life. And I got involved in conservation in 1998. That's like 20 years ago. Uh, that's when I became a member of the local bird society. And then from a volunteer, um, I 
became a national coordinator for national breeding bird survey or bird monitoring scheme. Nowadays, I do mostly photography uh, and I also do various uh, various trips, both for bird watching and bird photography. Uh, in addition, I also do bird surveys and these are done not only in Bulgaria, but also in, in other countries. Um, like I do bird birding and bird photography trips in northern Greece, for example, and um, every year for the past five years I've been going to, to the Arctic in Norway where I do bird surveys for the local uh, bird conservation society and uh, the Norwegian Scientific Institute. Then, um, can I, I ask you, uh, uh, Doncho, just if I can interrupt you, uh, with these sure. bird surveys, is this something that the destination is hiring you to do? Is this a volunteer thing? Yeah, no, it's a it's a paid um, engagement. So um, I'm hired. I'm hired to do it. That's great. And uh, yeah, yeah. At the moment, I actually do probably. The, I'm the person doing uh, the highest number of survey routes uh, in Norway. Believe it or not. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I count uh, birds along 18 routes, um, and I usually spend the whole month uh, in the Arctic. Most of the time camping in remote areas, remote destinations, and um, doing long, long tracks uh, to cover the routes, sometimes up to 20, 25 kilometers a day. Are you by yourself or with other people? Usually by myself, yeah. Okay. Wow. If I manage to get someone from home to come come with me just as a company, I do that. But most of the time I, I'm by myself. Okay. There aren't many people willing to do that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great, but I bet it sounds a little rough too. <laughs> it is It is at times, yeah. Especially this year, uh, weather was really rainy, so very wet and, um, yeah, a bit chilly. The, the highest temperature I got was uh, plus 15 degrees Celsius and rainy most of the time. Mm. So it was, it was a bit rough, yeah, this year. <laughs> great. Yeah, so uh, anything else you want to tell us? Yeah, uh, just to actually uh, finish the answer to um, to your question, um, I started uh, with my guiding career in, in 2005, um, and then later on uh, I became a full-time photographer, uh, willing to um, to show the beauty of the beauty of nature. Um, and at that stage, I was about to start a small venture with a colleague of mine. We were about to. Um, uh, to set up a small cottage with uh, several bird photography heights. So to promote these heights, um, we needed to show what people can can do there, what what birds they can photograph. So uh, this was one of the one of the reasons that uh, initial that additionally um, put me that that way. And then of course uh, at that stage my bird watching hobby and career needed some diversity. So with, with photography, um, I managed to, to rediscover it. So it was a good, good moment at time. Yeah. That's great. That's uh, quite impressive. Uh, I, I know I just returned from Costa Rica and I explored a new genre of photography, at least for me, and that is wildlife. And that included many of the interesting birds of the Osa Peninsula there in Costa Rica which apparently has uh, one of the most uh, densely populated uh, area of, of different species in the world in this very small little peninsula of Costa Rica. Um, you know, what is it about birding and bird photography that really caught your interest and 
uh, you know, now that you pursue it professionally, I mean, I can understand why, but tell us more about that. Yeah, the, the main thing uh, with bird photography or, or wildlife photography generally is the, the proximity to, um, to birds. It's the, it, that intimate moment uh, that I can have with nature. And this is the most empowering um, thing, the, the, the really, really the, the, special, the special moment that uh, makes people uh, doing all the inconvenient uh, things like getting up early, sometimes even staying in the mud, or but but just this um, this special time that you have close to the animals is really special. Uh, and yeah, just having a bird or a mammal a few meters away from you uh, and you hearing it uh, feeding or interacting with other animals, just observing its behavior uh, of a wild wild creature, it's it's really amazing. Uh, and and again, yeah, really, just be just be this this close to animals is uh, is fantastic. And then uh, on the other hand, um, if you're doing the whole preparation of uh, shooting wildlife yourself, is the the pleasure of the whole preparation is also um, quite significant. You you need to consider various aspects of the photography. Um, so it, it does take some time, but it's really rewarding after it when you actually see the the animals right in front of you. So it's it's very special, yeah. Talk to us more about the preparation that you're speaking of. What uh, what kind of preparation do people need to think about before going on these kinds of adventures? Well, the, um, I would like to differentiate here between um, the different types of, uh, of photography and adventures. Most of most of the people nowadays uh, choose going into already set up heights by other people, other photographers, uh, and some of the people would uh, prefer to, to set up the heights themselves. So if you're doing it that way, you do need to consider things like where to where to set up your height first. Of course, you won't choose your, your target bird or memo. Um, find a suitable area and consider all the light conditions. Uh, think about the, the background, for example, and uh, think how light will be changing um, in the season, the main season you want to, to shoot at. Uh, and then, of course, you, you want to consider if, if you're going to be feeding the, the animal or the bird, or, or you'll be providing water or any other um, resource that the animal may need. So these are all things that one needs to, to consider um, when, when choosing a site and when preparing um, a destination or a place for, uh, for photo shooting. Of course, the prox proximity to people is sometimes uh, to be considered. You want a quiet place, especially for, for bigger, bigger creatures, uh, and not, not to mention mammals. They're even more secretive. Although in some places it's now easy to do it in your, um, in your backyard. Uh, but even even there, it's still important to consider the background you will have um, if you want the, the purchase where birds will be will be sitting, the light. So all this needs needs to be needs to be considered. I know it's, it's becoming a little bit like a studio, but uh, then to to have really good high quality images, you do want to think about all the aspects all, um, that of the photography of the image that you'll be seeing later on so it's, it's a long process but really rewarding interesting because when you're talking about preparing i'm thinking you're you know talking about you're at home and you're packing you know how you're preparing for the trip but you're talking about preparing the area where you're going to be photographing and when you talk about a hide 
for people that may not be aware of what that is, because that word has several different uh, meanings, uh, that's the place where you're actually hiding from the animals and sort of being camouflaged and waiting for them to come into this area that you've sort of prepared with food and water and uh, you're considering the backgrounds where the animals are going to land or walk so that you've got nice clean backgrounds or complementary backgrounds. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And often hides or blinds, as, as you call blinds, them, uh -huh. uh, they they can be they can be permanent structures. So uh, they can be uh, staying there all the all the time, uh, so that animals can get used to um, to the construction constructions, and they're not afraid of um, of you being there. They they just uh, animals just get used to these uh, these constructions. Uh, uh, they can be permanent or or um, temporary. But animals just get used to them, and uh, they're not afraid. They they keep being wild uh, when you when you go there. So you're you're just in a way uh, you're sort of controlling the environment, and and you know your angles for shooting these animals. And, and you know, and, and it makes a lot of sense now that you you talk about it. I hadn't really thought about that because, like I said, this is a, a very new part of photography for me. So that's really interesting. Um, uh, are, when you talk about other photographers, is, is there some sort, you know, and that there's some of these hides or blinds that are permanent, others that are temporary. If there's permanent ones, what's the code amongst photographers to be able to use them if someone else set it up? Is Are they locked? Uh, you know, is there a code that anyone can use it? How does that work? Well, usually there's a local organizer or, or a guide um, who maintains the heights and he will have the, um, the schedule and he'll be organizing the whole process anyway. Uh, so you want to contact such people that would take you to the place uh, at the right time. Uh, anyway, these people know uh, what the conditions are, if, if animals are coming or not, and what season you should be going. So there are local people um, who are maintaining these heights uh, and this is the only way how you can you can do it. If you go to a just existing construction uh, construction somewhere uh, that's meant to be a height, but then it's not maintained by anyone, you would not be able to to photograph anything. You you do need the local person uh, maintaining the height and feeding the the birds, the animals, uh, or providing water or whatever they need. So you do need to to um, to have the local people taking care of of you and the animals. So it's almost like an Airbnb for birds, huh? <laughs> kind of, yes, yes. <laughs> That's interesting. I had never thought about that, and I've and I've often uh, driven, especially through Europe, and seen these structures that uh, the locals have told me were some sort of a hide, either for hunters or photographers, I assume. And uh, I hadn't thought about, you know, that sort of code or how, how it works and other people maintaining them and kind of uh, arranging the reservations or the, the time that they're free for other people to use them. That's great. Yeah, so, usually the, the heights you see from the roads when traveling around Europe, these are mainly used by hunters. Uh, they're usually elevated a little bit higher up mm -hmm. because animals uh, cannot uh, cannot feel with people. Uh, but this angle is not suitable for photography, for mm -hmm. uh, for wildlife photography animals, or, or um, you want to be at, uh, at, their, at their level, at their, eye, at their eye level, so you get more 
uh, more intimate look of the, the image. Um, so does that mean that you're down on the ground when they're feeding or you're up in the trees when it's birds or both? Uh... Yeah, it depends on the, on the bird you're after. Sometimes mm -hmm. you, you can be on the ground, sometimes, uh, on a, for example, tower height, and then you have some perches uh, for birds to, to land right in front of you. So it, it's really up to the up to the bird you're after. I see. Interesting. What kind of gear are you using for, you know, what kind of gear should people be thinking about when it comes to successful bird photography? Yeah, it's mainly, mainly long lenses that people use for, um, for bird photography. Uh, that would mean more than 300 millimeters is, uh, is good enough. 400 is, um, is recommended recommended minimum, but then in certain heights you can do it uh, with 300 millimeters even on a, on a full frame camera. And uh, and of course um, the the lighter the lens, the, the better it is. So ideally it'd be two, uh, f 2.8, so you get more light, especially at dusk and dawn when light conditions are not great or in overcast, for example, you get. Um, you get to shoot with higher speed, so that's really important for, for wildlife uh, to be able to get a um, higher number of, um, of frames. Uh, but um, at the same time, I also want to mention a new trend in wildlife photography, and that is um, including the birds in, in their habitats. Uh, so there are people doing um, wildlife shots with uh, even wide-angle uh, lenses like 14 millimeters that would involve more more equipment maybe remote controls um, or you just need to trigger the the shutter um, in a in certain way but it's it's really rewarding can you get very very close to um, to birds so uh, excuse me do, yeah excuse yeah, me um, so you're not talking about a, a photographer personally walking up with a camera that close with that wide of a lens these are remote remotely set up cameras is that right yeah usually remotely set up yes uh, although although uh, I have some experience with um, with some species that are tame enough like for for example the Dalmatian pelican I do one of the trips that I do that you'll probably mention later on it's about Dalmatian pelican photography, and um, those animals are really tame. You can approach them um, really close, so you can even use the, the 14 millimeter lens, uh, especially if you want to get the, their wings uh, widespread when they're close to you. So there are moments when you don't need to use a height. Birds are just used to people, uh, and you can, do, you can use these wide-angle lenses. On, on these uh, Dalmatian photography trips that I do, people would use uh, lenses like, uh, say, 16 to 35 or 70 to 200 is often the most used lens. And then, of course, birds would uh, stay away uh, now and then, so you can use your um, 300 or 400 or 500 millimeter lens, whatever people have. But so you, you certainly need to have a fast fast camera that would mean shooting with more than six frames per second and then a large buffer that would allow you to store the to to record the images on your memory card as quickly as possible so you're talking about shooting in uh, in a burst mode 
you capturing that bird, you know, flying away or moving because they're rarely are birds just kind of sitting there. They're they're I, I I always say that flags and birds are some of the hardest things to photograph because they're always moving, <laughs> but yes. but especially yeah, that, birds, right? <laughs> that's why that's why you you want um, camera with uh, with capable of doing more frames per second, especially if you want to, to get wing beats and any, any movement for any interaction or any movement, you, you really need to, um, to have a camera with um, more frames per second, like ideally uh, 10, 12, that's, these are the high class cameras that allow you to, to shoot yeah, in, a, in a burst mode, yes. Yeah, and I, I sure found out that uh, having fast cards is important and and uh, looking at doing wildlife photography because those animals are always moving uh, like humans. They're blinking or, you know, looking the other way. So you're going to get a lot of throwaways. So you have to take a lot of pictures, right? Sure, exactly, yes. That's why you need uh, you need big, bigger cards and many, many memory cards. Sometimes uh, when sitting for a session, for example, if if productive enough, you can do several hundred, uh, several thousand images. I know people that would do, say, um, hundred thousand images for a week. Uh, I can't imagine having to look through all those images. Yeah. My yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be. I don't want to be at their place when when uh, reviewing or when post processing the images. <laughs> oh, wow, that's incredible. You know, I've always been fascinated by the the behavior of wildlife and uh, specifically birds. Uh, you know, we're talking about bird photography mostly, but uh, can you give us some tips for? best capturing birds in their natural habitat? I mean, what behaviors do we need to be aware of and can we observe that will help our photography to anticipate what these animals are going to do? Is that something that you can do is anticipate maybe when they're going to take off and fly or do something? Yes, it's it's quite important uh, to anticipate their behavior because these are some of the most interesting images that that one can take. Uh, interaction amongst between animals is is really something that is um, that is sought sought after. Uh, and uh, to be able to um, to take these images, ideally you would be sitting in a um, in a height or or in these blinds that we were talking about. Uh, sometimes. If uh, if birds are used to people, you can you can just go to a city park or, for example, ski resort for some some birds where, where uh, for some yeah where they are they are used to um, to people and you can approach them. Uh, but um, when even when being in a height, like you need to be really quiet. Uh, it, uh, you have to avoid smoking or using any lights from for example from from phones from laptops or um, any equipment although most of the advanced heights nowadays take consideration uh, for these um, we can even call it pollution if you want that can scare the animals and um, are well uh, isolated but even though it's it's good to to have in mind that animals are wild and they are afraid of light. Um, we're talk, talking about artificial light. Uh, so in certain heights, like for example, search for uh, for birds of prey, it's uh, or for for bears, for example, for wild uh, for mammals. 
leaving the height without the permission of the guide is uh, is absolutely forbidden or not advisable because when um, we're leaving a height, even for a, for a smoke or for anything, uh, you're scaring the animals away because you don't have much visibility outside of your little window or your, your camera screen. So you, you're not sure what's around really. Uh, and, an animal may be sitting just just behind the height and you'll see you when when you go out so it's really important to um, to consider the recommendations or the requirements of of local people so this is quite uh, quite important in terms of uh, in terms of human behavior when sitting in a height uh, it's not for everyone to be honest uh, <laughs> not everyone can be sitting in a in a height for a day or for two even are, excuse uh, me. Are you are you usually by yourself, or are you in pairs with other photographers? How does that work? Are they big enough for several people? It depends. Yeah, it depends what the height is. Uh, usually, usually they're for for several people, and especially if you're on, on a on a tour, um, with you can share height with uh, with several other people. Great. So yeah, uh, this will have all the all the facilities you need. Uh, you need inside, so you can have your um, your really convenient convenient space. Some, in some of the heights, you can even sleep inside, and be warm and and all that. So it um, so that you're really comfortable and um, and patient uh, patient enough to um, to wait for the animals. Sometimes you can really wait for for days if uh, if eager enough. Like of course it's not for a not for a tour, not for a trip, but if, when people are preparing an area or want to shoot certain animal by themselves, they can really spend days inside um, a small small box even if you want. Um, so in terms of um, in terms of animal behavior and um, what we need to consider. Is that the the morning and evening light in the in the golden hour is preferred for um, for the images for the for the shooting session uh, because the, the light is is very soft and it, it gives um, it reveals all the all the details on the on the birds although nowadays with these um, contemporary cameras capable of um, shooting with at high ISO you can do pretty much anything even at uh, even at at dusk or even even at, at um, yeah in very very low light conditions, but the morning light in the golden hour gives some really nice uh, very very pleasant um, feel of the of the conditions of the atmosphere. Uh, and then once you have the the animal in front of you, you want to anticipate the the moment when when it will be uh, moving or doing doing something interesting, either landing on a on certain perch with its wings uh, widespread, or when taking off, or when um, animal and animals are interacting um, with each other. So it's it's interesting to, um, to photograph their, their behavior once you once you're there. Um, ideally. You want to consider the time, the time when you go to a certain place, uh, because um, animals have their specifics in terms of um, breeding behavior, courtship displays. So these are all interesting moments when you that that you want to consider when when going to an area for for a session. 
Yeah, I, I, I thought it was interesting. While I was in Costa Rica, the uh, local guide talking about uh, we were shooting monkeys at the time and uh, yeah, anticipating when they're going to jump from one branch to another or watching the uh, – there's, there's almost like a – a highway in the canopy for these monkeys, especially when a troop of 50 or 60 comes through an area, you kind of watch the, the first several monkeys and then the other ones will follow almost the same route almost every time. And so that's a way to see what the, you know, the early monkeys are doing to then anticipate what the following ones are going to do. And uh, if they were sort of bouncing on a branch, that probably meant that they were going to jump. Um, I, I just found that fascinating. And it, uh, you know, because I, I always, and it, and it makes it so much easier in that sense when you can over time, and you only can get better at doing that, is anticipating what these wild creatures are going to do. I've got to think that that only helps your photography, right? Exactly, yes. And this is the, the information you need, uh, either by your personal observations or you want this information to be given to you by the local local guide. Mm -hmm. So you really need to spend a lot of time, if doing it by yourself, um, yeah. to mention again, that, that you really need to spend enough time watching the behavior or studying studying the behavior of animals so that you're better prepared and exactly anticipate this moment when um, when the animals would be doing something interesting you want to get the animal in the air for example in your in your case for example um, but you need to know about this uh, this highway you all, all these specifics in their behavior you need to know them in advance to be uh, better prepared for the interesting image yeah, and I've got to think that a part of that, uh, a part of that is about safety too. Where you know, the, if the previous animals are going through a particular area, then the other ones probably feel more safe that uh, you know they've kind of uh, blazed a trail, if you will. Um, yeah, great, great stuff. I, I just find that part of of this really fascinating. Something I just never thought about. You know, you, uh, I get caught up in just regular travel photography, which takes into account a lot of different types of photography and wildlife is certainly one of those, but not something that I've been very exposed to being uh, more of an urban shooter, I'd say. Uh, talk to us about what makes great bird photography. What makes a great bird photograph? Uh, you talked about a bird sort of with its wings open, just about to land. Uh, what are some other things that people should be uh, you know, because when as I looked at my photographs after this trip to Costa Rica, um, you know, there's a lot of things that I think are very, you know, that that go across all genres. Uh, things like the rule of thirds, obviously, and the, the direction that the bird's looking, maybe. And uh, what are some other things that people should be thinking about? Yes, sure. Uh, all these things that you mentioned are, are quite quite important, uh, but uh, there's also a new trend in wildlife photography, as I mentioned earlier on, and that is to include the mammal, the animal, um, as a part of the landscape, like revealing the environment in which the animal lives. And um, this is really intriguing. It, nowadays, there's so many pictures of, of birds on the internet that um, it's not enough to just to just to have the the bird the, with a clear background uh, not to mention um, sedentary um, 
animal you want you want some action some activity you also want to see the the environment where, where it is and just create the atmosphere that would um that would tell you more about the area and, and the animal itself the background uh, is quite important uh, in some cases uh, it's important to be uh, clear of distractions but on the other hand uh, in, the, in the previous uh, occasion that i mentioned you want to have um, some details suggesting the environment so it really depends on the image and um, what what you want to what you want to show of course you want to have the the sharp focus on the eye uh, that's usually the most important thing. Even if wings are, are blurry, uh, blurred, um, it, you want to have the sharp eye, and that's that's what matters. Um, you want to have good eye contact. Uh, ideally, uh, you would have so like some some people suggest that you want to have the head of the animal pointed at uh, 45 degrees towards you. <laughs> I know this is not like this is not easy to. Uh, to measure, but we're talking about <laughs> yeah, we're, we're talking about um, visual impression and uh, and really eye contact that that is the most powerful uh, when when looking at an image. Uh, in certain conditions, you want to have nice, uh, soft, uh, warm, warm light uh, if you want to show more more details of of, of the um, the plumage, but then. At the same time, if you want to show the atmosphere, you may want to, um, to show a bird in, in some harsh conditions, for example. There are some really unique, amazing images of, of birds struggling in a in snowstorm, for example. So in this case, the nice soft light is not an issue, like, but you want to show the atmosphere and the environment and um, the behavior of birds. And um, this is a really powerful, powerful message. Uh, nowadays, again, for the same reason that there are too many images of, of birds nowadays, people become more um, into art photography and they would uh, often show only only a part of the of the bird, sometimes just just a feather or a bunch of feathers or only only a portrait if you want. Mm. So these are also really um, really powerful powerful images. And of course, you want to avoid the the center. Again, depends very much on the on the image itself, but usually you want to have the um, the object on one side or another, uh, following the the rule of thirds. When I was thinking about the, um, you know, looking at my photographs of birds and uh, animals in general, you know, I mean, these are living creatures just like humans are. So, so many of the things that you're talking about, they you know, apply to photographing humans too, human portraits and, you know, that 45 degrees, the sharp eye, the rule of thirds, you know, looking at the camera, things like that. So uh, I think that that's really uh, interesting. And, and I love that idea of photographing the details and just getting, you know, some feathers or, a, you know, a paw or the, the, the fur of the animal, things like that. Uh, always, uh, I, I would think that, you know, you're talking about getting that environment and showing the environment that the bird is in. Uh, and like any scene, cap capturing that overall uh, establishing shot and then thinking about the medium and the detail shots to tell the story and get a variety of images of that one subject, right? Yeah, sure. Especially when you have the the, the subject as, uh, as only a, an accent in your um, landscape image, if you want. 
uh, if you're showing a coastline, for example, and you have something small wind right in the front, like your foreground, that's really, really powerful. Or if you have a small, um, a small subject, for example, on a, on a tree showing a nice forest, that can be also very, very, very powerful and very, very pleasant to the eye. Great. Uh, this, this is really fantastic. And it's really helped me uh, I think, you know, to, to get better photographs of these types of animals. And I can't wait to do, do more wildlife photography down the road. Um, as you know, we like to talk to our guests about a particular destination that they're familiar with. So obviously that would be Bulgaria for you. I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of other places, but I thought we'd talk about Bulgaria. Uh, what should our listeners be on the lookout for when they go to Bulgaria? Uh, should they decide to travel there? What are some of the highlights of your country? Yeah, the country is really, really diverse. Uh, it's very small, which allows people to um, cover a great variety of, of areas for a very short time. Uh, it's, um, it's very rich in natural resources and cultural monuments. Uh, people are very welcoming and, and smiling, so that's very pleasant for, for any visitor. We have a um, good diversity of high mountains, including alpine areas, uh, which are actually the, some of the highest on the Balkan Peninsula. Uh, this is probably the, the place to specify that Bulgaria is situated north of Greece, for those who, who wonder. Uh, we also have a um, very picturesque uh, coastline with, um, with rock formations, um, very rich in, in culture, uh, like over 130 monasteries. There are many waterfalls, rock formations, narrow gorges. Uh, it's just absolutely wonderful countryside with uh, mountainous villages where local people still do their, their land manually. It's, it's absolutely amazing and I really love showing the, the beauty of the country. And as you know, and I've I've talked about Bulgaria before, and uh, we uh, I I have been to Bulgaria this past year and uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, again, for those who aren't familiar exactly where Bulgaria is, it's south of Romania. It's on the western part of the Black Sea, so you've got the Black Sea coast there. A lot of variety, as you mentioned, of vineyards, lots of agriculture wonderful people, really nice food culture, a Sofia, beautiful capital with a lot of things to see and do. Uh, what are some of the other highlights uh, that you, you could tell us about? Yeah, um, since I'm more into natural landscape photography, one of my favorite areas is uh, in the eastern Rodopi Mountains that is in the southeastern part of the country. Uh, there's a um, an old volcano with a with a crater uh, caldera, which is um, still well well preserved, and this is very picturesque. Can can be looking really really wonderful on, on images. It has a river flowing at the bottom of the the caldera, so absolutely fantastic. It's, it's one of my favorite places. Mm. Then, in terms of um, cultural heritage sites, there's a Rila Monastery, which is a UNESCO site. Uh, there's uh, Veliko Ternovo. It's um, our former former capital of the country. It has a nice forest uh, fortress with a um, church on the on the top. You, you you've seen that one, I suppose. Yeah, so that's, really, a, that's a great town. Beautiful little town, yeah. and uh, it's got that that very uh, the Soviet era huge hotel right there, sort of in the yes. gorge. Really cool, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. 
That's yeah. wonderful. I, I really like that town and, and the the uh, fortress that you're talking about. They have a, an amazing light show there. Have you seen the light yes. show? That's, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, several times. Yes, that's great. Yeah, wonderful tool to photograph as well, especially in different different conditions. Any any season is good to, for for there. Well, ex explain the light show briefly for people uh, what that's about. It. Uh, it's um, the the whole fortress is um, is basically uh, lit up with different different lights uh, along the along the the fortress wall, and um, also in the yard of the uh, fortress there are different um, there are different lights. Uh, some of them illuminating the church and the tower in the in the middle of the the fortress. So these lights will be changing in different colors for about half an hour or so. And this light show is um, is meant to to attract the attention of people to all the all the soldiers, all the people who who used to live there and who have died for the. Um, protection of the country and for the uh, for the freedom of the country uh, probably here is the place to mention that uh, Bulgaria used to be under Ottoman yoke for 500 years which had huge impact on uh, generally the, the awareness and mindset of people but having all these um, strong people fighting for the for the country was um, was what what managed to um, to save us at, at that time, and uh, nowadays people are just um, attracting um, the attention of um, of visitors to to all to all these um, all these uh, soldiers and all the people who who used to live there. Yeah, and the and the light show is also synchronized to music. Is that do I yes. remember that right? Yes. Yeah, it's it's, yes. it's amazing. It is, is the, the story the story there's a story that's uh, actually told um, when you're watching the show but you can only hear it from from certain place from within a certain terrace balcony and um, you can hear the music and and the stories and then you watch the the light show overlooking the overlooking the fortress from the from the terrace it's really very very quite a, quite a powerful moment sure is that's great so, anything else about Bulgaria that uh, our listeners should know about? Should they decide to travel to your country? Yeah, there are also very quite interesting uh, rock formations, and the mountains are um, are wonderful. And uh, there are some special caves. There's one called God's Eyes. Um, that's with uh, basically two openings on the on the ceiling, on the, and you can actually photograph stars through the opening on the ceiling of the, the cave. It's uh, another another amazing place where which is worth visiting, but of course people can can always have a look at the uh, at the snap guide we were mentioning about earlier on. It has uh, all of these locations uh, featured in the in the guide. Yeah, uh, the Snap Guides is a really great app, and uh, the app itself is free. But then you, uh, people can purchase specific destinations that are uh, the, the, I guess, they're add-ons to the app that uh, professional photographers like yourself, who are really uh, aware of a particular destination, have put together. And for a very small fee, you can purchase that part of the app, and then. Is it about uh, your telling people or showing people where they can go to get these great photographs? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, you have the location uh, where images are, are shot from, or the domain of the main area. You also have a location for the for the car park. So it just tells you where to park your car and where to go. And then, of course, it allows room for your creativity, but gives you information if a place is good for uh, for sunrise or sunset, uh, or if if it's uh, better for overcast we um, weather. So it gives all this information that, or what kind of lens you would need or whether tripods are allowed in, in some places. So all of this is, is given in the guide as information. Yeah, it's it's well worth it. And, and what are the add-ons, uh, like the specific Bulgaria one? What is it, less than $10, right? Yes, it's $8, I think it is, yeah. Eight, for $8, you get all this practical information what you know? Where to park? What kind of lenses to use? When to go to these places? Is it a sunrise or a sunset place? Uh, you know, even probably where to stand if you if you want to take the exact shot, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Even so. Yes. Yeah. And uh, now there's uh, about 100 sites featured in that guide for the country. 100 sites. Yeah, it's it's really a great app. And uh, don't forget to listen to episode 107 with Luca, who is the uh, the creator of that app or the co-creator and uh, he's uh, arranged with photographers from around the world who know specific destinations to uh, create these add-ons to the app uh, a really wonderful thing well anything else uh, you'd like to add right now uh, Doncho before we we close up here I think that's about it more or less okay wonderful well I appreciate your being on the show, and thanks for talking to us about your wildlife photography and Bulgaria. Uh, what do you have next on your travel schedule? Any events, speaking engagements, uh, things you've got planned that our listeners should be aware about? Yeah, I have a few trips coming up um, in September. Uh, I have um, a photography trip, cultural photography trip, visiting some of the old capitals in the country, like including Veliko Ternovo that we mentioned earlier on. And then for next year, I have my uh, Dalmatian Pelican and Golden Eagle photography workshop. Uh, by the way, there's still two places left if someone's interested. So we get really close to Dalmatian Pelicans and uh, good success with, uh, with the Golden Eagles. Sometimes um, Griffon Vouchers and even Grey Wolves come, come to, to the height. Is this in it's Bulgaria? Yes, oh, yes. Okay. Uh, well, the, the eagle and uh, voucher height is in Bulgaria, and the pelicans is in northern Greece, but it's yeah. only 20 kilometers from the Bulgarian border, so it's, okay. it's very close. Very good. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm already fully booked basically for the next May, which is the prime season for, um, for birding, um, and then a few trips planned for, um, yeah, a few cultural photography trip, travel photography trips planned for 2019 and 2020. So pretty busy, but uh, looking forward to it. That sounds great. Sounds like you've got a, a lot of people that uh, follow you and are filling up your trips. So where can our listeners find out more about you and see some of your work? Yeah, I have a website that's called naturemonitoring.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram as uh, dancho.christoph. Uh, Facebook, same thing, uh, Dancho with CH, dot Christoph, and um, on 500px is probably my largest gallery, um, united under several several different albums, and um, I will leave a link in the, in the description here. 
Yeah, we'll put links to all of these in the show notes. And you're, you also, your your real name is Jordan Ristoff, and Doncho is your nickname. So people uh, may find you under Jordan as well. Is that right? That's right. Yes, on 500px is actually Jordan Christoph um, dash bird guide Bulgaria. So yeah. it may be a bit difficult to find, but uh, I'll put the put the link in the description. So it should be easy. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Doncho. This was really fantastic. I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners did too. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can follow me on all the social media platforms, both at Photo Enrichment and at Ralph Velasco. And be sure to visit our website at photoenrichment.com to see about our upcoming tours and other announcements. Also, something special for our upcoming 10-year anniversary at Photo Enrichment Adventures, we are running a big sweepstakes with great prize giveaways, including cool stuff from MindShift Gear, one of my sponsors, as well as a grand prize of $1,000 off of any of our tours. Simply go to photoenrichment.com, join our mailing list, and you can download my brand new ebook, 52 Categories of a Shot List, Create Images That Tell a Story. You can get that for free. Then if you share your unique link onwards uh, via email or social media, You'll receive more and more chances to win. Come September, we'll be choosing 10 winners at random, and they will get great prizes. Uh, Sometime in October, we'll send those out. The more you share, the more chances you have of winning, so check it out. Finally, our India, Cambodia, and Vietnam trips are starting to fill up, but we do have a few spaces available, so feel free to email us at admin at photoenrichment.com. Uh, if you have any questions and to receive any additional information. Uh, to find out more about Ugo, simply Google his name or go to ucphoto.me and you'll see what he's got going on. Finally, be sure to put in a review of the show on iTunes. This, of course, helps us to be found by others. And if you have a guest you'd like to recommend that we talk to on the show, please be sure to send us an email. Let us know who that would be. And let's get over. Let's get active over on the Traveling Image Makers Corner Facebook group. We're always looking for great images for our bi-monthly photo contest. There, uh, winners will be featured on a future podcast. So be sure to enter your best work. And remember, if you keep at it, you can't get worse at photography. Now let's get out and shoot. <laughs>